Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at the Cross Loganville. And like Tim said, this is my wife, Kara. And uh, Tim asked us to speak on the theme of a child is born. So that's a really Christmassy theme, obviously. And uh, we'll be sharing a bit about our most recent uh, child, Nora, who was born in 2018. Uh, we'll walk a little bit uh, into the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then make a few points on Jesus's main message, which is uh, the availability of the kingdom of God and how blessed human beings are if they can find their way into that. So Kara's going to get started. So I'm going to start by just sharing a little bit, well, a good chunk of our story, because I know some people heard about it, some people knew bits and parts, but we want to... Um, fully glorify the Lord through this story and let you know the details of um, our story with Nora. So I, uh, I have been raised in the church. I've been a believer all my life, and I have never had um, a time like this in my life. These were definitely the darkest hours of my life, and I, I pray, I don't know, but I pray that it was the worst of what I'll, I'll deal with in life, but I fully expect that the Lord will carry me through whatever he brings after our situation with Nora. Um, on April 13th of this year, unfortunately, it was my son's second birthday, and we had every intention on celebrating it well with his favorite things, bubbles and lollipops and all kinds of things that Ricky loves. Um, and I had an appointment. I was 25 weeks pregnant. I was actually supposed to go to this appointment a week before by myself, and thank the Lord, my schedule didn't allow it, so Rick came with me that week. Um, and we went in, and we thought it was just going to be a normal ultrasound. Um, little did we know all that was going to happen. So when we were in the ultrasound appointment, uh, it was very quiet. Uh, the ultrasound tech talked a little bit, asked me a question like, how big was your son when he was born? And I kind of felt like she was asking for a reason. I had that question asked several times throughout my pregnancy. Um, but I felt like something was wrong. And I told Rick, I said, I really feel like something's wrong. And he said, well, you know, let's just wait. And we waited a long time. We waited in the waiting room. Then we went to the doctors. And the, the regular doctor walked in and said, hey, just so you know, we found multiple um, indicators in your ultrasound that's saying something's wrong. It could be something. It could be nothing. But we don't want to, you know, just look over it. So what we're going to do is we're going to have you go to a high-risk doctor in an hour and a half. We're gonna, you're going to go right there so you don't have to wait all weekend wondering what's going to happen. Um, so we went to a high-risk doctor uh, an hour and a half. Rick forced me to eat lunch because I did not want to. I was really anxious. And we went, and there was a lot more waiting. And we went to um, the ultrasound and the lady was very sweet, but it was just quiet again. And I could just tell something was up. So then they, we waited about an hour. I think the doctor told us later she was trying to figure out everything and get all of her facts together. And she came in and told us that, uh, there were five indicators on our ultrasound and that in the ultrasound world is a big deal. One or two indicators can mean something pretty severe, but five is pretty, they're pretty certain something's up. Um, she was small. She was measuring about three and a half weeks behind. The shape of her head was abnormal. I had a thickened placenta. The umbilical flow was a little abnormal, and she had calcifications in her stomach, multiple. A lot of the ultrasound techs told me they'd never seen so many calcifications in a stomach. And, um, it was really scary. The, the, I remember 
telling the doctor and Rick, like, I think I'm going to pass out. And I laid down and everything was just ringing in my ears. And I, I just, it was like an out of body experience. I couldn't believe, it's like that feeling you can't believe it's happening to you. Um, and she told us, she said, it could be a chromosome issues. And with chromosome, there's like a lot of different chromosome issues it could be. Well, they tested me for three, but there were a lot that it could be. And they said, or in my professional opinion, what I think it is, is an infection called CMV. A lot of people don't know about it. It's actually more common than the Zika virus. Pregnant women have heard of the Zika virus. Um, and what it is, it's, it's an infection that actually 70% of people get in your lifetime. It shows itself as a cold, but if you get it for the first time when you're pregnant, it can be extremely damaging to the child. Most of the time, when babies have CMV, they never know until they're a year or two old and they have progressive hearing loss or progressive deafness, or I'm sorry, progressive blindness or cerebral palsy, things that happen later on, they never knew. In, so, so within the babies that have CMV, 10% of them are called symptomatic, which means they know before they're born. And Nora was in that symptomatic. She was highly symptomatic, what they would call, because it was five indicators. And uh, what they said is, within these children that are symptomatic, uh, there is a one in three chance that she'll be a stillborn. And if she does survive, there's an 85% chance that she will have some form of disability. So not just one, but could be many. And I'll tell you, it was... It was definitely the scariest day of our lives. Uh, I really felt like, all right, Lord, I guess this is going to be the thing that I deal with the rest of my life. This is the thing that you're going to make me almost suffer through. You know, this, this thing that I felt like I, the Lord's like, you have to deal with this because, you know, I've, I've given you a lot of good things, so I'm going to make you struggle with this, which was the wrong mindset to have. But I remember Tim and Barb came over that night, um, and I don't even remember what we said. I just remember a lot of hugs and crying. And I remember saying to Tim, man, I, I just thought I would trust the Lord more. I thought I would, I, I so thought that all of my studying of the word and all of my desires for things of the Lord, that when something happened like this, that I would immediately go into trusting the Lord and knowing that he has it in his hand. But I didn't. I, I mean, I knew, I wasn't angry at the Lord. I didn't blame it on him, but I didn't know what was going to happen, and I felt like I had to control it somehow. I had to figure out how to control it. So really, then, when all of that happened, I thought, I'm going to busy my way through this. I am just going to keep busy, and that's my way of not thinking about it. Well, the next, uh, in that week, it was my birthday, and my parents had already planned on coming for my birthday. And I had a doctor's appointment um, the end of that week, and we went in, and it was worse. The umbilical flow was worse, uh, which means that um, they call it absent flow. So it means that there's not enough going to the baby. And what happens is that then begins to reverse, and things go in the wrong direction from the baby out. And so they put me in the hospital. I remember my mom saying she was just so panicked. She said, is this better than last week? Because we have been praying that week. Let the doctors be confused. Let them be confused. And they're like, no, this is worse. But they told us the CMV uh, test that they did with me came back negative. But then they let me know. They're like, but it still could be in the baby. It still could be something in the baby that's not in your blood anymore. 
So it was just very confusing. I remember we asked for the doctors to be confused, and the doctor kept saying, this is very curious. This is curious. And I was like, well, I guess they're confused, but not how I wanted them to be confused. I wanted her to be perfectly whole, right? I wanted things the way that I wanted them. And so we went to the hospital. I kid you not, my doctor came in that night. Rick went to drop my parents off so we could have the car. And I I was in the doctor in, in the hospital room by myself. We didn't know the doctor was going to come. And he came in and said, just so you know, you're stuck with this pregnancy. Just so you know. And I said, yes, sir. That's what I want. I want to have this baby. And he said, and you're probably going to be here until you give birth to this baby. Um, you're probably going to have the baby soon. It doesn't look good. And the nicest thing he said to me was, that's a really good heartbeat for such a complicated baby. So all these words, I can't even explain all these words that everyone kept associating to this child that I had fallen in love with, even though I was, I hadn't met her yet. Um, I just, it, it was so difficult. So I thought I would busy my way through it. And then it, I ended up 12 hours later, everyone prayed and the umbilical flow was normal. 12 hours later, everything else was still there, but the umbilical flow was normal. And so I ended up going home, but on bed rest. And what I felt like at that point was the Lord said, hey, listen, I know you were going to busy your way through this faith journey that I'm putting you on, but I'm going to let you sit on a couch, which if you know me, that I don't do that well. Uh, I'm going to let you sit on a couch and face the reality that I have given you. Yeah, so one, uh, one thing we teach the students on Wednesday nights is that one of the most fundamental and important philosophical principles, like the thing that makes wisdom important is that uh, wisdom is learning to deal with things as they actually are, not as we hope they are, right? And this includes circumstances like Kara's talking about. The option just to distract was no longer there. Um, you can only watch so much Netflix before you got to start thinking again, you know? And um, we treating God as he actually is, treating your faith as it actually is, uh, oftentimes we, we cling to our illusions, you know, it's not because we're bad, it's just because we're just trying to make it through life, right? And so, um, but a lot of what the Christian journey is, is running into things that don't move when you hit them, right? Teaching you what your actual limitations are, teaching us who God actually is. Um, one of my favorite uh, sayings is that uh, God created man in his own image, so man decided to return the favor, Right? we have this tendency to try to make God in our image, right? Just a bigger version of us, a nicer, stronger version of us. Uh, but in this situation, um, we both had to just face the fact that God is not predictable <laughs> at all. It's our job to follow. We're forced to just respond to who he actually is. And so uh, what this means is that the, the option to seek security in circumstances is just not a good life strategy, Right? Uh, what has to happen is uh, replacing our hope, reorganizing our faith around the character of God himself, not in things going the way that would be easiest for us to go. Yeah. So if I can have a raise of hands in the room of who, when you have symptoms, you look on Google. Anyone? Come on. Come on. Okay. I am so one of those people. I am a low-key hypochondriac, okay? So... I, I'm not even kidding. If I start feeling a symptom, I'm like, Rick, do you think I'm sick? Do you think I'm sick? I don't even, he's like, I don't know. I don't know if you're sick. So you can imagine how this whole thing went about. Um, but I sat on the couch at first, and I went on Google boards. I looked up stories. 
I looked up situations. I looked for something identical. But what's interesting about CMV, the infection, is that no two stories are the same. And you hear that from the moms with kids with CMV. Um, and it was really what I, what I can see now is it was an effort to find hope. I was placing my hope in other people's stories and other people's outcomes, even if it was um, their, the, their child was deaf and that was, that was all that they dealt with. I thought, okay, well, well, at least I can find some hope in that because I, I can handle that. But there are some things I can't handle, Lord, but I can handle that. So I was almost having this thing of like, okay, Lord, we're going to have a conversation about how this is going to go. You know, because I can, I can be hopeful about that situation, but that situation I cannot be hopeful about. Um, and it really was putting my hope in those things. And that's a roller coaster ride. Your emotions go everywhere when you try to put your hope in circumstances, like Rick said. So then I thought, okay, enough of the Google, Google boards. I got to get to work and I got to pray. I got to get on my knees and I have to pray, but I have to pray for a miracle. And that's wonderful, and that's great, and it, it, it was good, and I felt called to do that. But I wasn't called to put my hope in a miracle, okay? I was called to put my hope in the Lord. Because when you put your hope in a miracle, when you put your hope in the Lord figuring things out for you, you're putting hope in the gift and not the giver of the gift. It, it is not a good place to be because then you almost make um, an ultimatum with the Lord. I'll love you if you give me this, if you come through in this way. Um, but what I know is, I, I remember having a conversation with Rick where I said, okay, I would almost rather it be the infection than a chromosome issue. And he said, why? You think the Lord is beyond healing a chromosome issue? And for some reason in my mind, I thought he can heal an infection, but he can't heal a chromosome issue. There were just these, these battles in my mind going back and forth. And, but then what I realized is that a lot of people would say to me, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And I believe that. But what I have to tell myself is I don't believe that because I know he can heal any sickness, but I also believe he can carry me through any tribulation. So nothing is impossible with him. So I didn't have to get a miracle to feel like nothing was impossible with God. I just needed to know he could carry me through any situation. Um, and really where I found the most peace was in the morning, I'd get up, I'd go to the couch, I'd go on my knees, and I would weep and pray and read the scripture. I would soak in scripture. I, you know, when, when the Psalms say medit meditate on it day and night, I did that. I, I hope that for the rest of my life I'm able to do that, but it, it got me into a habit of feeling like I had to soak in Scripture when I woke up and I had to soak in it when I went to bed. And I found so much peace. And I want to share a Scripture, Psalms 112, 6 through 7, that I read that gave me so much peace. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. And in that, in that scripture, I felt like all I had to know was I wasn't afraid of bad news. Even if it was going to happen, even if the Lord wasn't going to come through on a miracle, my hope was in him 
and not in my circumstance. So one of the biggest takeaways um, I got from studying at Southeastern was this leadership principle. And this isn't just leading other people. Like, this is also self-leadership. But they would tell us all the time that most of the time, people don't change. They don't change their perspective. They don't change their habits, what they want. We don't change until the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of changing, right? Because change is very difficult. There's risk involved. It takes all kinds of energy, all kinds of relearning. Uh, and that's what we were forced to do in this situation. But to give some perspective, um, because this, you know, this is a unique situation here. It's, we're not the only people who have gone through something like this, but uh, everybody in here has and eventually will face other trials that are bigger than them at the moment for sure. And uh, what we're trying to do is frame this as, um, as kind of a path for like how to approach the problems that are bigger than you, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a test that strengthens faith, reveals faith. And all that being said, it, we, I am very aware, or like Nora's been with us for a little, a little while, we're on the other side of this. Um, but in the moment, any of this advice, like we kind of knew all this, but it doesn't, in the moment, because it's so painful, emotionally difficult, it's not the first thing that pops into your head, right? Yeah. Uh, and so um, what I'm wanting to say here is that uh, the, the rest of our lives are going to have situations like this, right? Where there is a, a threat that's bigger than our faith. Um, at every stage of life, I've told people um, who are going through different things, like there will always be, whatever season or age you are, there's going to be a competitor with God, against God, for our heart and faith and sense of security. And so uh, the source of joy, I've said this to Kara a few times, at this point, our little boy Ricky, candy and toys and TV shows are his source of joy. And you can tell when he does not have them, right, because he kind of freaks out a little bit. When you become a teenager, peer acceptance is like the big thing. That's the big arrival of God for hope and confidence. Um, after that, romantic relationships are tremendously important. At this point in our lives, it was kids. Later on, years from now, it'll be career success for us, uh, grandkids. Um, eventually, when people get older, like the sense of legacy can be a very real competitor against God for the sense of hope and confidence and a sense of, of worth. And, uh, and I would just say, like, uh, what we're learning from this is that everybody's got the competitor with God for their hope. It, there will always be one. And so um, Stephen Covey gives this example uh, that uh, if you're taking a flight from Orlando, Florida uh, to Los Angeles, the stopping point is Los Angeles. Like there is this airport you're supposed to land in, but all along the way, there's going to be thousands of little minor course corrections, right? And so the fact that our faith is going to get shook a little bit every now and then, to me, that's not a serious problem. Like, that's just how life is. Like, of course, we're going to get shook a little bit. The Christian maturity, I think, is quickly returning, right? Is to um, turn our attention back to the Lord as soon as we can. Um, and, and basically increasing our speed and being able to do that, uh, not never getting knocked off. Um, so we're going to read uh, the main text uh, right here um, in uh, it's Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Uh, this is where Mary learns that she is not going to have uh, a predictable pregnancy. All right? This is where a lot of uncertainty uh, is introduced to her. And so it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph 
of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what type of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So when I was reading this scripture, when Tim was telling us he wanted us to share a little bit of our story and share on this, I, uh, it's so funny when you read scripture that you've read all your life, but you've just gone through a really crazy, wild season. Uh, my eyes were really open to a few things with Mary. Um, one of them is the first question she asked. First of all, she's a woman, and I feel like she should have asked more questions. <laughs> I'm like, I, I would have asked a lot more questions. Um, if you were in my head during my whole pregnancy, I had a lot more questions in my head than that. Uh, but I love how she says, how will this be? I feel like she just sounds so, you know, perfect. How will this be? Not, why are you doing this? What will this look like? How will this affect me? How will this affect my future? A lot of times we think Mary knew the story from beginning to end, and I don't believe that. I believe that the Lord called her because he knew she would be faithful no matter what, because her life was not revolved around her. She believed that her life was to bring glory to the Lord. And so it doesn't take much for her to just say, how is this going to happen? Because like, you know, I'm a virgin. I don't know how this is going to happen. And the, he, the angel explains it. And then she says, be it unto me as you have said. She has this beautiful surrender right? So this is a disruption to Mary's plans when you really think about this. This has to be a disruption. She had to have had hope in other things, but the beauty of Mary's story that no one else can claim is that her hope was in the child she bore. Her hope was coming, and she was able to then get to a point, so quickly get to a point where she said, Lord, be it unto me as you have said, so during my pregnancy, I only told a handful of people this when I was pregnant because it was probably my most intimate moment with the Lord during my whole pregnancy. I was um, talking to the Lord, and it was, it was May 24th. I was talking to the Lord, and I said, I, I was thinking about these things. I was saying, well, if she's deaf, Hannah Cash is getting, going to sign language class, so we'll be good. Um, I'm going to take her to a school. I'm going to find a specialist. I, you know, if, if she's blind, we'll go to this school. We'll figure it out. I was trying to figure it all out in my mind on how I was going to handle this, how I was going to do this. And immediately it was like the Holy Spirit stopped me in my tracks and said, if the worst happens, if the worst thing happens, worst case scenario, how will that change your relationship with me? And I immediately thought, 
I know what I need to say, and I need to say it out loud, and I need to mean it, but I'm scared to say it because I feel like if I say that the Lord can do whatever he wants, then I'm accepting it for Nora. I felt like I wasn't fighting for her anymore. But what I didn't realize was that was the only way to fight for her was to know that regardless of what her life looked like, that her hope would always be in Jesus, that her hope is never on outward things, but her hope is always in eternity with her heavenly father. And I hope that I'm always able to show her that. But in that moment, I said, Lord, no matter what happens, I'll praise you. Lord, no matter what happens, I'll praise you, Lord. And I yelled it and I got on my knees and I wept and wept and wept. And as I yelled it, as I yelled it out, I just felt weights off my shoulder. I just felt weights off my body. I knew in that moment that that was the point the Lord was trying to get me to, to be able to say, Lord, no matter what you do to my child, no matter what you allow to happen, I will still praise you. I know that you're God and you're good and you're holy and you're faithful. And that was a really hard point to get to. It, like I said, Mary just looks like this <laughs> really great person who just, it came in seconds, you know, in a few minutes. For me, it took a month and a half to get to that point where I was broken before the Lord. And after that, I'm telling you, I just felt peace. I felt different. I, I felt better than I felt before. Better than I felt even before I got the news because my hope had finally been where it needed to be. My hope had been in spending eternity with my father. And I believe that when you place your hope where it needs to be, that you're able to be led by the Lord and surrender. It's like this beautiful surrender to the Lord. And you say, hey, you've got it. And I'm here to glorify your name. I'm not here to make myself look good, to, to get what I want. I'm here to glorify you. And so it, it really was an incredible moment. And I want to kind of fast forward through that time. Um, on July 5th, we probably heard, this is the first time I'm like sharing this out loud, so sorry if I'm crying so much. But on July 5th, we got heard the best phrase I have heard my whole life. And that's, Kara, she's beautiful. Um, not her outward appearance. It was the doctor saying, she looks fine. She said, I know you'd want to know this, but her head looks normal. You know, like all these, all these concerns I had, all these worries that I had. And we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God did a miracle in Nora Joy's life. Nora means a bright light. We named her before we even knew this. But the Lord knew her name long before I did. He had a purpose for her life. And I pray that we are able to guide our children from here on out and never, never may I move my hope again in anything that is temporary, in anything that is not where my hope should be. And that is in eternity with Jesus. So Kara, fast forward to Nora. I mean, she, like, I don't get like super crazy when babies are cute, but I mean, like she... <laughs> I've said this so many times, like, I'll turn my head, look at her again, and be like, she got cuter when I wasn't looking. I don't know. I mean, it's amazing, right? And so, um, as far as we know, I mean, like, she's perfectly healthy. It is a miracle. I am generally slow to call things a miracle. I try to be very, very careful. 
I mean, the doctors don't have a good explanation for it. Mm -hmm. And so um, we do, you know. <laughs> but um, that being said, uh, there's always going to be uncertainty in life in general, certainly with your own kids. So, you know, we plan on having more. We don't know what's going to happen with our kids in the future, what kind of lives they're going to live. Um, so there's that. But I'm going to zoom into Mary's story real quick. Her uncertainty is not solved for way longer than for us. Like at this point, we feel a certain sense of stability. Mary has to travel while pregnant. She gives birth in a stable. That is not a safe thing to do, right? Um, immediately, they have to flee to Egypt because their maniac king is trying to kill all the boys Jesus' age, specifically because he knows the competitor for, I mean, the title king of the Jews is coming up, right? Um, eventually, Joseph passes away, and so the man of the house is gone. In addition to them all being Jewish people, under the occupation of the Roman Empire, which is just brutal, right? If you resist the Roman Empire, they crucify you, string you up along the roads to show what happens if you resist. Their life continues to be terribly uncertain and dangerous forever. It is, it is the way they constantly live. And then there's this moment in uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 27 through 28. This is when Jesus has begun his ministry, uh, he's got humongous crowds that are following him, and Mary can feel like a success as a parent, right? Because he's not just some uh, celebrity dabbling in stuff he doesn't know anything about to get a crowd, right? Jesus is famous for a good reason. That is because his teaching is so profound that people forget to eat while they're listening to him, right? They are so enamored with this. Um, he's healing the sick. He's got good news for the poor. He's raising the dead. And in this case, a guy gets a demon cast out of him. Jesus teaches on it a little bit. And this one woman in the crowd gets so excited. She's so thankful for the blessing that Jesus is in her presence that she cries out, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nurse you, right? Or nursed you. It's so what she's saying is, I am so overwhelmed with thankfulness that you are here in our presence that I've got to just say congratulations to your mom, right? She must, your mama is great and we are happy for her in, I mean, just immediately Jesus almost, it almost looks like he's robbing his mom of the honor that she so deserves at this point. And he says, blessed rather are those who know the words of God and do them, right? Now a normal, polite person after all their mom had gone through, would have said, you don't know the half of it. I mean, she, the sacrifices she made, um, she was just always so kind. She, she's been on the run. I mean, like, she, my mom is so great. But Jesus doesn't do that. And I think that the reason, I don't think he's uh, dissing his mom at all. I don't think uh, that he's robbing her of anything. I think what he's saying is, um, the reason that she's blessed isn't for the reason that you think she's blessed, right? The reason that Mary is so blessed is not because she's the mother of Jesus. It's because she is a disciple of Jesus. And this is an opportunity yeah. that every single one of us had, yeah. right? The state of her blessedness is not that she's, I mean, not just the mom of the year, the mom of like, not the century, of eternity, right? <laughs> So in heaven, if she meets George Washington's mom and says, oh, that's nice, he started a country. Yeah, have you ever heard of Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus is aware. He's reminding her and everybody else that whether you have the most successful child of all time 
or if your children makes decisions that break your heart, this is not the cause of your blessedness. The most fortunate thing about all of us is if we are able to be students of Jesus, because that means that we get to enter the kingdom of God, which means we get to desire his desires, right? This is a constant thing, like I said earlier. Um, there's going to be thousands of course corrections in here. Um, it doesn't at all mean we do things perfectly all the time. It just means we stay on this path with him, learning to desire the desires of God, which, like Kara said, Mary showed immediately when she got the news, right? This is varsity. And so she's a, a fantastic example in that way, um, where we just we seek out the desires of God, right? Um, and living a life that's constantly uh, revolving around that. So I do want to say thank you for all of those who fed us, took care of us, um, loved on us, encouraged us, but mostly for those who prayed like Nora was your own daughter. Um, I, want to, I want to thank you guys for doing that. But I also want to, I know we're about to go into a time of prayer, and I, I want to say in closing, I know that there are people in this room that fa are facing uncertainty. I know that there are people in this room that may have faced it for a long time, Maybe you're about to face it. It's a, a, a day that is waiting for you. But, but what I would say is that I, I would really challenge you to practice putting your hope today in Jesus. Practice not putting your hope in circumstance. Really think about where your heart is, where your treasure is, and, and refocus. Um, I know in O Holy Night, it says, the thrill of hope a weary world rejoices, right? The thrill of hope. When Jesus was born, we were able to have this hope. And we are to be excited during this season that this season represents eternity with the Father. And I also want to challenge you as you're going through that season and being led by the Lord that you would find surrender, that beautiful surrender where you would be able to say, I know where my hope is, it's where it needs to be, but I just want to say to you, Lord, no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, no matter who in my world is affected that I love, let your will be done, be it unto me as you have said, and that I will praise you no matter what. Thank you guys so much for hearing our story. Mm -hmm.